Open your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And this morning we are looking at the very last sermon in our series of 1 Corinthians. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I hope that you have as well. We've learned a great deal about the church at Corinth and many different things about church problems. And as we look at this, we should have been learning as we went through this how to deal with problems in our own church. And if we've seen areas that need to be corrected, then we need to just get on those and to correct those things. The problems and the difficulties of the ministry at Corinth are, are written down as part of God's holy word so that we might learn from them. So we can learn when we have problems in our own church what to do. And if we see problems and we identify problems and we don't do anything about those problems then we're no better than the Corinthian church was when they were so many times obstinate about Paul's teaching. Well, in the end of this chapter, in chapter 16, we do see some improvement with some of the people in Corinth. Some of them turned out to be great blessings to Paul's ministry and to the ministry of other churches. And these people that we're going to talk about in the end of this chapter were characteristic of the kind of church that we need to be. Paul's last words in this chapter are words of encouragement, and they focus on the underlying theme of the book, which is love. And so it's not surprising that we find his last statement in this book is, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Today we want to look at these last few verses, the closing words of the book, and I want us to draw some conclusions from this about the kind of church that we need to be. So let's stand, if you would, please, as we look at God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll start reading at verse number 15. If you have a Bible and you notice there's someone near you who doesn't have one, please share that if you would. 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 15. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us, and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus, and Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. The churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet ye one another, with an holy kiss. The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. Let me stop there just for a minute. It was Paul's custom to dictate his letters. Someone wrote these things down for him, but when he would come to the end of his letters, many times he would sign that in his own hand. So these last verses he actually wrote down, and they would have been on the manuscript in his own hand. He says, The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to stand in the pulpit today. I ask you, Lord, that you might bless the message, speak to our hearts, and help us to learn today the kind of church that we need to be. Just be with us in this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few weeks ago, there was a lady, a young lady, who sat in my office after the Sunday evening service, and she said some words to me that were very important. She said, I need to be a member of a good Bible-believing church. 
And I suppose that there's not anything that's more important for a church to be, and that is a church that believes the Bible. Now, that that might seem like an odd thing that I would have to make a statement like that, because you would think that if there is a a, a church that or a, a, a place of worship that has the word church attached to its name, then you would automatically assume that that ought to be a place that believes and teaches the Bible. It ought to be a place who, who tells about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if the, if the concept of church comes right out of the Holy Scriptures themselves, if that's where we learn about the Bible and, or the church, and it's the, the Bible that gives authority to the church, then certainly the church ought to be a Bible-believing church. But sadly, folks, that's not the case with many churches that are around us. We want to be a church that is a church that believes and preaches the Bible. But I don't really want to dwell so much on that aspect of the kind of church that we need to be. I'm already making that an assumption. Today I believe that you're here because you come to Berean Baptist Church. You do believe that that we teach the Bible here. You believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility of God's Word. So I don't really want to dwell there. Instead, I want to switch the discussion, take us off in a different direction, because I do believe that there are Bible-believing churches that are not the kind of church that we want to be. There are some churches that are, are preaching the Bible, but unfortunately they're stuck in cold, dead orthodoxy. And so to walk into a church like that, it's like walking into a mausoleum. It's like going into a cemetery on a cold winter day. That's not the kind of church that we want to be. I heard the story once of a, a preacher who was very tired of coldness and deadness in his church. I don't know if it was his fault or if it was the people's fault, but he had a problem with people that were falling asleep during his sermons. And there was one particular fellow that he would fall asleep during the service and he fell into such a deep sleep that he would snore very loudly. And so all the people would turn around and they'd look at him and they'd kind of snicker as he was snoring. So the preacher got tired about that, uh, tired with that and decided that he was going to do something about it. And so he was going to teach that old fella a lesson on one Sunday morning. So as the preacher was preaching, he said to the people very quietly, he lowered his voice and very quietly he said, everybody that wants to go to heaven, please stand up. And everybody stood up to their feet. And he said, thank you, you may be seated. Then he said, he stomped his foot and clapped his hands. And he said, everybody wants to go to hell. Please stand up. And that old boy that was sleeping, he woke up when the preacher clapped his hand. He stood straight up to his feet. All the people looked at him and they were kind of laughing about that. And just then that old boy said, he said, preacher, I don't know what it is we're voting on, but you and I are the only ones that are for it. Well, in the end of this chapter, we do find some attitudes that we can draw here from Paul's last statements that tell us the kind of church that we ought to be. Not just a a Bible-believing church and not just correct in our doctrine, but the characteristics. What kind of character do we need to be as a church today? Well, number one, the kind of church that we need to be is a church that is addicted to ministry. I think one of the most interesting things that I've ever read in the Bible is Paul's statement here about one particular family in this Corinthian church. Listen to his comment in verse 15. You may want to look at this again. He says, I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. 
This man, Stephanus, and his family, these were the first converts that Paul made when he came to the Corinth. Uh, he calls them here the first fruits. And we've seen that word before because in the 15th chapter, when Paul was talking about the resurrection, he called Christ's resurrection the first fruits. The first fruits are the first plantings of the crop. When you take in the harvest, the very first ones that were planted, these are the first that are taken in, and it's a guarantee that the rest of the harvest is coming. And so when Paul applied that word to Christ's resurrection, he said, Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. And that was a guarantee that many others would follow in the resurrection when Jesus comes back. Well, that's the same word that Paul uses. And what he means is that when Stephanus and his family were saved, that that was an indication that the ministry of Paul in Corinth would be effective. There would be other fruits for his labor. And indeed there were. There were many people that were saved there. And as we know, Paul was able to start a church in that city. But then, after he calls them the first fruits, he says something here very remarkable about their character. He says, they addicted themselves to the ministry. Now, that word addicted is an interesting word because it means exactly what you think it means. Addicted, that's a word that we use today, and we use it all the time when we talk about drug addiction or or alcohol addiction. This is the very same word that Paul uses. And when you think about addiction... What is it that you think about? Well, we think that addiction means a habit. When a person is addicted to something, or addicted to a drug, he has an insatiable desire to take that drug. He's compelled to do it. Then secondly, we notice about addiction that a person who becomes addicted to something, he he develops a tolerance for it so that he has to have more and more of that to satisfy him. He keeps on going back to it so that he becomes dependent upon it. No drug addiction will lead someone to do just about everything that they possibly can in order to get that drug. Whatever's necessary, they're going to go after it. They're going to get it because they have that strong desire that they must have it. Now, it seems kind of odd that this is a, a word that Paul would apply to Christians. I mean, it, it's a, the word addicted, I mean, that has a, a negative connotation to it. But that is exactly what Paul says about this family. He says they were addicted to serving Christ and to serving other people, so they just simply could not get enough of serving in the church. They had to do it. They were compelled to do it. That was the only thing that could satisfy them. They were actually addicted to the ministry. Now, that's an awesome attitude for for a Christian to have. And this is even better than what we could possibly imagine because when he uses the word here, it actually means that they did this on their own. Nobody asked them about ministry. Nobody in the church assigned them a job to do. These were people that just saw the need and they decided we're going to meet that need. So the pastor didn't go to them. Nobody compelled them to do it. They just saw the need because they loved Christ and they wanted to meet the need. What kind of church would we be if we had a house full of ministry addicts? What if we were really addicted to the ministry? What if every member of Brian Baptist Church said, I just can't get enough of this place. I've got to be there. I've got to help. I've got to serve. I just can't get enough of serving Christ and serving other people. This is the place that I want to be. We'd have an awesome church if people were addicted to ministry. Now, if I could stress this point in another way, I would put it like this. Let's don't soak and sour, let's serve. And that is a problem for many churches 
They have all the doctrines correct. I mean, they've studied the Bible. They've got the doctrines down. But when they come to church, it's because it's their obligation. They go to church because they think that they just have to. And so when they get there, they don't do anything other than soak and sour. Sunday morning service looks like everybody drank pickle juice for breakfast. I mean, they have that sour look on their face, and the people just won't get out of that pew to do anything to serve God. We don't want to be a church that soaks and sours. We want to be a church that serves. So we need people that are addicted to the ministry here. And that means you just can't get enough of this. And you don't have to have me come and ask you to do it. And when we ask for volunteers, you're not the kind of person that ducks down in the seat so nobody will see you. That wasn't the way that Stephanus and his family acted. They were alive and they were vibrant. They weren't asleep in the church. Whenever they saw a need, they would reach out and and meet that need. And that meant even going beyond the church out into other places to do ministry. And that's really what I'm talking about here. Being a part of the ministry of Berean is not always about what takes place in between these four walls. It's not always right here. The Bible teaches that you are a minister wherever you go. You are a witness for Christ wherever you go. Paul calls them in another place ambassadors. says we are ambassadors for Christ. And so whenever you go out and you speak well of your church, when you speak well of the Lord, when you invite people here, that means that you are a part of the ministry of Berean Baptist Church. You don't need me to ask you to do that or for a deacon to come and say, will you do that? You just take it upon yourself and you meet that need. That's what it means to be addicted to ministry. Now, number two, the kind of attitude that we want is one of appreciation of other believers. In these final verses, Paul mentions other believers. There are two that he speaks of in verse 17, Fortunatus and Achaicus. In verse 19, he talks about Aquila and Priscilla. And those last two were especially important to Paul's ministry. And we're going to, they helped Paul a lot. We're going to talk about them a little bit more in just a moment. But Paul was very quick to recognize the faithfulness of the people that he worked with. And so in the closing words of many of his letters, when he was writing to churches, he would begin to mention other people that had helped him in the ministry. I think that's what we need also. We need to be a church that recognizes the contributions of every member of this church. I like to pat people on the back every now and then. And the ones that I pat in the back, many of them, I mean the ones that are truly addicted to the ministry, they don't do what they do in order to receive a pat on the back. If you never said anything about them, if you never mentioned their names in the bulletin, if you never said one single word from the pulpit about them, they would still go about their work. They would still be busy working for the Lord. But there's nothing wrong with giving people recognition. And I think that's what we ought to do as well. We need to be an encouragement to other Christians. Do you even realize how helpful it is for you to be an appreciative church member? I mean, are you the kind of person that just takes other people for granted? I mean, you see what's going on in the church, you see the work that gets done, and you just say, well, oh well, it's getting done, somebody's going to do that. Or do you see people that are involved in ministry, and you go up to them and you thank them for what they're doing? 
And I'm not talking about just who's standing on the platform. Not me or Brother Dalton. Certainly, uh, we need encouragement. We do. Not, not just Brother Gary. Not just people that are on the platform. But what about all the work that goes on in Berean that makes us able to carry out the ministry that we do here? Have you stopped to thank some of the people that are involved in ministry? I mean, when was the last time that you went to Gail, uh, working in the kitchen, and, and thanked her? for what she does there to enable you to sit down and have a meal. Or thank Bronwyn or some of the other ladies that are, that are helping with that. When is the last time that you went over to Letha and you said, Letha, thank you for putting all of these functions together. Thank you for doing that, working behind the scenes to make sure that gets done. You see, you don't automatically sit down and get to put that piece of chicken in your mouth when we have a dinner. And, and the... the Christmas banquet doesn't fall out of the sky. Somebody has to do all of that work. And so instead of complaining about things that are going on, when was the last time that you walked up to any of them, found out who's doing all that work, and you said, how can I help you? That's the kind of church that we want to be, one that appreciates other believers. Now, we want to appreciate people, And when you do that, I promise you, it will go a long way towards helping you. It will also encourage you, and you will enjoy church so much better if you're a person who takes time to encourage others. A moment ago, I said I was going to come back to two people, Aquila and Priscilla. These were two very dear people that gave Paul a place to stay when he came to Corinth. It's very likely that for the entire time of his ministry there, that, that these people put Paul up in their house. And what they were involved in was a ministry of what we call Christian hospitality. See, there were travelers in the first century, and they didn't have all the modern conveniences that we have. When you traveled to another city, there wasn't a motel to stop at or a hotel or fast food joints that that you could stop at. So we were coming across the country these past 2,500 miles. I mean, it wasn't any trouble for us to find a place to stay and uh, many places to eat. And if I traveled with those guys for 2,500 more miles, I'd weigh 600 pounds. But uh, we don't have any trouble with that. And yet, Christians in the first century didn't have those conveniences. So when they went to strange places, you know what they did? They depended upon other Christians. They would bring them into their house, and they would just show some hospitality. And that's something I need to ask you about. Have you done that lately? I mean, have you ever done something just as simple as inviting someone over to your house in your church for dinner? Just inviting somebody over for fellowship? You know, that there's nothing that will help cement new members to the Brian Baptist Church, new people that come in, if just some of our members would go up to them and say, I'd like you to come over to my house for some fellowship. I'd like to share some time with you. I'd like to have a meal with you. You know, that happened to me and my family. When we first came to Berean, people were willing to open up their homes. They showed us hospitality, and that made a lasting impression on us. Have you tried to do that lately? You know, one of the largest churches in the world, well, actually is the largest church in the world, is located in Seoul, South Korea. There are over 500,000 members of this one church. You know the way that they grew? They started out by people, the members of the church, inviting new people over to their homes. They would go so far as they would even move into neighborhoods. 
I mean, they would change places of residence just so they could meet new people in new neighborhoods and invite them into their house. And they won people to the Lord that way. Now, notice here in verse number 19, Paul says that Aquila and Priscilla salute you. He means they greet you. And he says, with the church that is in their house. For the first 300 years of Christianity, there wasn't any such thing as a church building. So what people had to do, they had to meet in houses. Aquila and Priscilla were two people, a couple, that had a church in their house. They invited people over for fellowship. They invited them there for worship. They had services in their house. When Gary and I were in Israel, uh, we visited the city of Capernaum. That's where Jesus spent a lot of his time ministering. And Peter's mother-in-law lived in the city of Capernaum. She had a church in her house. Today you can go there and you can see the ruins of that house. They're still there today. And you see where they've added on room after room after room as that, as that church grew. And so this was a lady that showed hospitality. She had the church in her house. When I think of that, I also think of the opposite. When I think about a man and his family who attended Brian for a little while and they were thinking about becoming members here. But this man said to me on one day, one day he said, uh, I don't want anybody from the church coming to my house. I don't want any of the members to stop by and see me. I don't want the preacher there. I don't want the deacons there. He said, because the last church that I was in, the pastor sent the deacons to spy on me. And I think people are spying on me when they come to my house. We're not coming to spy on you, I promise you that. We desire fellowship. The question is, are you an hospitable person? Do you love to be around other people? Do you like to have believers over to your house for dinner or for fellowship? Maybe you haven't tried that and you'd like to just test it out sometime. Well, if you do, just invite me over because I'd be happy to come. I love to fellowship with God's people. Now, here's what I want to leave you with on this point. Open your heart and your home to other believers. Appreciate people, encourage them, Don't be afraid to show some hospitality. Number three, the kind of church that we want to be is a church with an attitude of affection as in a family. Now look at verse number 20, because this is going to, might shock you just a little bit, but look what these believers did. Verse 20 says, All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. I want you to just lean over to the person next to you and give them a big kiss this morning. No, you don't actually have to do that. That's that's all right. I I don't don't want any of you guys to have a black eye after the service. Back in Paul's day, in Paul's day, that was a common thing for people to do. Whenever they greeted someone, they would greet them with a kiss. I'm not talking about on the mouth. uh, That that wasn't that kind of thing. But they, they kissed them on the cheek, and that was the method of greeting people. Today, what we do usually is we shake hands with someone. But shaking hands is sort of business-like, isn't it? I mean, you can shake hands with your boss. That doesn't mean you necessarily like him very well. But that's what we do. We shake hands. That's our greeting. But it's nothing wrong if someone says to you, well, you know, I'd like to just give you a hug today. You know, sometimes uh, Hazel will go out uh, at the end of the service and she'll say, a shake's not good enough for me today. I need a hug. And she hugged me today when she came in the services. And Joanne Cirillo back there, sometimes she says, I just want to hug you. Give me a hug as we go out. 
And I just realize more every day just how lovable I truly am. But some of these ladies really... There's nothing wrong with giving somebody a hug. Now, let, let me make a point about this. Let's make a point. There's power in a pucker. Now, that's not really... That, that's the one we have up there, but you can write down beside that. There is power in a touch. There's power in a touch. You know, there are many people in the world today, you know, in our society that don't have human contact. There are lots of people today that sit in their offices and they stay in touch with people by Palm Pilots and by emails, by the computer, uh, cell phones, whatever it is. There is no physical contact with a lot of people. And if you don't have contact with people, you'll be a miserable person. We need to be a church that has some affection. We're a family here. And, and you know, when I see my, my daughters and I see my grandkids, I want to hug them. I mean, I'm not content just to wave at them and see them go by or talk to them on the telephone. I want to see them. I want to hug them. When my wife gets home, I haven't seen her in about a week or so, I want to hug and kiss my wife. Now, maybe you don't want to kiss somebody. That's all right. This is a family at Berean, and there's nothing wrong with giving somebody a hug now and then. And we're not talking about romance here, of course. And when Paul talks about love, he's never, not one time in the Scriptures, when the Bible talks about love, does it ever talk about romantic love. Here, Paul talks about just loving the brethren, having affection as a family. And so when you just touch somebody on the shoulder, pat them on the back, what you're saying is, I love you as a brother or a sister in Christ. You know, I know some preachers who absolutely forbid this. They forbid you touching another person. And they have their reasons for doing that. And certainly behind closed doors, you want to be very careful about what you're doing with another church member. But when you're in public, and when, when somebody just says, give me a hug or just warmly shakes your hand, then you are, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to be a cold, hard person I, I, I like brotherly and sisterly affection, and I think that's good for us. I know there's some of you that when we get up to shake hands at the, you know, have the fellowship time, some of you say, oh, I, I don't like any physical contact with anybody. I don't want to touch anybody. Well, do that sometime. Just shake somebody's hand. Greet them warmly. Uh, be physically affectionate towards people in that way. There's a story that the uh, famous preacher R.G. Lee once told he was uh, visiting some families in West Virginia, way up in the mountain hollows of West Virginia. And it wasn't uncommon for these people to have uh, farm animals in the house. I mean, farm animals right there in the house. And I experienced that some when I was just a kid, when my, uh, my dad pastored a church up in the mountains of Kentucky, the hills of Kentucky. Uh, there were some families that, you know, you had, you had barn animals right in the house. And I remember there was a family that invited us over for dinner, and our chicken dinner just came walking through the house. And it wasn't long we couldn't walk anymore, but, but they, would, they would have the animals in the house. Well, R.G. Lee was telling this story about uh, going to visit a, a family, and this family had a pet pig. While they were eating, this pig kept coming up and nudging R.G. Lee on his legs, and the pig even tried to get up in his lap. Well... They were sitting there eating, and the pig just kept doing this and doing this. And finally, R.G. Lee said, man, he says, that, that sure is an affectionate pig you got there. And the old farmer said, he's not affectionate, nothing, affectionate, nothing. He said, you're eating out of his bowl. 
We need to be like that pig, though. And that is that we don't let a person get out of Berean Baptist Church without them seeing some of the friendliness and some of the affection that we have in this church. When I first came to California, uh, before my wife and children came, I, I was here for quite a while. I attended church in Fairfield for about three months. And in the three months that I attended church there, there was only one person in all that time that ever spoke to me. The person that spoke to me just happened to be the church gossip. But he didn't need to tell me anything about that church that I didn't already know. I, I had personal observation of what they were like. You know what freaks me out, folks? It freaks me out when I hear somebody say that Berean Baptist Church is not a friendly church. Promise me this, you will not freak out your preacher. You need to greet people, be warm to them, show them some affection. We have a family here at Berean. Now, number four, and I'm going to give you these last two very quickly because I've preached about this quite a bit. Number four, we need to be a church that lives in anticipation of Christ's return. I love churches that talk and sing about Jesus. I love to sing about Christ, and I love to think about Jesus coming back. Listen to what Paul says in verse 22. He says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema Maranatha. The last word in that verse is the word Maranatha. And what that actually means is simply, Our Lord comes. That's one of the greetings that they used in the first century. Uh, When one person, Christian, saw another Christian, they would say, Maranatha, brother. They said, Our Lord comes, brother. And to a lady, Maranatha, sister. Our Lord comes, sister. The coming of Christ was always on these people's minds. You may remember a story I told you. It's been about a couple of years ago now. There was a preacher who was preaching about the second coming, and he was explaining this word Maranatha. And he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want everybody in the church, the next time that you see a member of your church, I want you to greet them with the word Maranatha, which means our Lord comes. You just say Maranatha. Well, they were having services that night, and so people would be coming back to church for the evening service. So the preacher came in that evening. He was walking across the church parking lot. And he noticed that there were two elderly ladies there. And they were just debating something and arguing with one another. And what they were trying to determine was they knew that they were supposed to say a certain word, but they couldn't remember what the word was. And so they were arguing with one another. Well, finally, when the preacher got to them, they both stuck up their hands and they said, Marijuana, pastor. But here's your thought. Here's your thought about this type of attitude. Think about the coming of Christ and live like it won't be much longer. Live like it won't be much longer. Are you really expecting Jesus to come back? You know, churches that do, that believe Jesus is coming soon, they have a lot of activity going on. They're they're vibrant churches. There's a buzz that goes on in churches like that. And that's the kind of church we want to be. If you're not excited about Jesus coming back, ask yourself why you're not excited. I mean, is there something going on in your life that you're afraid that if Jesus comes back, he's going to catch you doing that? Is that why you don't want him to come back? I want you to listen to what Paul says, some of the last words before he died. In 2 Timothy, he said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. 
And that's a question for us. Do you love the appearing of Christ? Christians that do, ones that anticipate it, again, they're vibrant churches. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Now, I want you to notice the other word that's in this verse. It says, anathema, maranatha. The second word, maranatha, that's a word of joyous anticipation. Our Lord comes. There's anticipation in that. But the first word is far from that. The first word, anathema, actually means cursed, accursed. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Our Lord comes. Now, I'm afraid for you if you're a Christian today and you don't love the Lord's appearing. Maybe you're a Christian and you, you've got things kind of mixed up just a little bit and there's some things going on in your life and your life is not in order the way it should be so you're not looking for Christ's return. You, you need to fix that. You, you need to get that thing straightened up. But I especially fear for you today if you don't know Jesus. If you're not a believer in him because the Bible says that there is a curse on you. And I'm not just, not just talking about the curse of sin and the fact that you are a sinner. I'm speaking about there is a curse placed upon you because you are guilty of trampling under your feet the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was given to pay for our sins. Jesus poured out his blood for sinners. And so Jesus says, if any man, or, or Paul rather says, if any man loves not the Lord Jesus, then he's cursed. God has no mercy on anyone who rejects the blood of Jesus Christ. See, you may not care very much about his return right now. And I would say that lost people out there in the world, they're not really thinking about it. Of course, they're not. They're not thinking about Jesus coming back. But when he does come back, you may not care about it now, but you will care a lot about it then. You'll want to know about it then. See, I thought I needed to tell you that because not only do we want to be a church that loves the saints, who loves the people that are here, that are believers in Christ, but we also want to be a church that loves sinners and loves to give the gospel to people so they might hear and believe. Now that leads me to our last thought today about the attitude of the church. We need to be a kind of church, number five, that has awareness of God's grace. Now these last two verses show an attitude that's very difficult for most of us. Paul writes, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And I say that that's difficult for most of us as Christians to do because we really have to understand the kind of people that these were that Paul ministered to. The word all there in verse 24 where he says, My love be with you all. That's very important because not all of the Corinthians loved Paul. Many of them didn't like Paul very much at all. And if you remember, as we've studied through the book of 1 Corinthians, that the attitude of the church at Corinth was an attitude of selfishness. Do you remember that they had taken the Lord's Supper and they turned that into a drunken feast? And people were hoarding food for themselves. They didn't care what anybody else was going through. They just tried to take everything for themselves. They were very selfish people. They would not share. Not everybody in Corinth loved Paul. They didn't like the message that he gave. Paul knew what they said about him. There were some who said that he was ugly. Some said he can't speak very well. He doesn't know how to preach. There were factions in the church. There were splits in the church over Paul's authority. 
And so if you think that everybody at the church at Corinth loved Paul, you're sadly mistaken about that because they didn't. And yet Paul writes to them, my love be to you all. Now, Paul wishes nothing but God's grace would be upon them all. You know, I wonder sometimes if we can show that much grace to others. When somebody has harmed us, when they've spoken badly about us, do we have enough grace that we can forgive that person? Or are we always seeking to harm them back? This is hard for us to do. Can you love people when they don't love you back? And yet that is exactly the example that we had in Jesus. He loved us before we loved him. We were haters of him. We didn't want anything to do with him. And yet he still loved us first. And then I would ask you, do you accept God's grace? And I mean by that, are you a humble person? Or are you the kind of person that you're arrogant, you're prideful? You're not a person who would ever in deep humility bow before God and thank him sincerely for what he's done for you. I want you to remember this last statement and think about this one. If not for the grace of God, there go I. We should never be a church that looks down on others. I don't stand up here and and preach about people's sins and talk about how people ought to repent of those sins. I don't preach that because I think that I'm better than anybody here. I realize, and you ought to as well, that every single person in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ, that he saved us not because of what we've done. We haven't been good. We've done nothing good. We're still sinners, and yet Christ still loves us. He was willing to give himself for us. So I don't preach about sins because I think I'm better than anybody. I preach it because God has so graciously forgiven me of my sins. And I want him to forgive you of your sins as well. And he will if you'll simply trust him and believe him as your personal Savior. You see, every person in this room today who is a Christian, you have been forgiven for Christ's sake. Not because of what you've done. You're forgiven for Christ's sake. And that means because he has taken the full penalty of your sins on the cross of Calvary. That's the only reason that any of us has ever been forgiven. And so when new people come into Brian Baptist, I don't want people to come and see the building. I don't want people to come here because there are programs that we have. I I don't want people to come here certainly not to see the preacher. Don't come here for that. I want people to come here because here is a place where they can see Jesus. That's what 1 Corinthians is all about. That's what the study is all about. Paul writes to them about their problems and tells them how to correct those problems. Why? So they can be a church that looks more like Jesus. And that's exactly the kind of church that we want to be. Every member of Berean Baptist Church, we ought to have a desire in our hearts that every day we want to look more like Jesus. That's the kind of church that we want to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to stand before your people and to declare your word. Lord, truly, we do want to be a church that is right in our doctrine. We, we want to believe in the scriptures. We do believe that the church has given its authority by the Bible. Certainly, we do want to stand upon that. But we also want to be a church that's right in its character. And that means that we want to be a church that shows in our lives every day what Jesus has done for us. Help us to be a gracious people. Help us to be a forgiving people. 
And to know, Lord, that we have only been forgiven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. I ask you that you would speak to some heart today. Draw them close to you. I pray, Lord, that you might just save someone in this congregation this morning. And then, Lord, for Christians here who are members of our church, Lord, may they take this to heart and see that we need to have the right kind of characteristics, the affection, the love, the desire to serve. Lord, put that into our hearts and help us to do a much, much better job than we've done of being just like you. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.